One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today is Laura Noonan, our investment banking correspondent. We're joined from Davos by Martin Arnold, our banking editor, and also we'll be talking to the US banking team. This week we'll be discussing the latest news from Davos as financiers, policymakers and others gather in the Swiss ski resort of Davos. Secondly, we'll be taking a look at William Haig's appointment as an advisor to Citigroup. And finally, from the US, a look back at the first of the fourth quarter earnings there. So to start today's podcast, let's go to Davos, where Martin is shivering in the cold. Or maybe, Martin, you've found refuge in a warm room somewhere. Tell us what the mood is like in Davos this year. What's the big story that's dominating? Well, the big shadow hanging over the alpine ski resort of Davos this year is one of a Donald Trump shape and his impending inauguration on Friday is the subject of most of the conversations that I'm having and most of the conversations I'm listening into here at the World Economic Forum. People are excited about the potential for a big boost in particularly U.S. growth, but also worried about the impact on trade of, of an increase in protectionism. And that was the subject of the other big interest here, which was the speech just a, a couple of hours ago given by the Chinese Premier, Xi Jinping, who, without naming the president-elect Trump, very much targeted him by criticizing protectionism and saying that it was very much like locking yourself in a darkened room. And everyone has remarked how it's a bit bizarre to have the Americans who are here in Davos kind of defending Trump's somewhat protectionist views, whilst you've got the Chinese premier coming here and espousing the benefits of free trade. So the world has been on its head from that respect. I think as far as the business leaders who are here and their reaction, I can sum that up by Martin Sorrell, the chief executive of WPP, the ad agency, who said the issue on Trump is that what you get on the U.S. swings, you will lose on the global roundabouts. In other words, there's likely to be a big boost for the U.S., but what about the overall impact on global growth? Global growth and the globalization agenda generally, I imagine, is pretty high up on the agenda of discussions as well. Yeah, it is. I mean, the Davos elite is very conscious of the fact they've been roundly criticized and told that they've got everything wrong as a result of the Brexit vote and Trump's election and that they're very much on the wrong side of the argument. So that seems to have got a lot of people thinking about globalization, whether it's working, what do we need to do to try and fix it. And I thought there were some very interesting comments from Tijan Tian, the chief executive of Credit Suisse. And he was reflecting on the role of big banks and big companies in society. And he said, you know, the license from society for banks to operate, the biggest risk is that we lose that. And that since the financial crisis, and particularly with the rise of social media, the mandate is becoming weaker and weaker, he says. And actually, he came out with some supportive comments for regulation. So most regulation you know, reflects this loss of the mandate and is actually a positive thing that should be supported. So those are quite interesting comments from him. What about the specific financial agenda? What's been dominant there in terms of topics? Well, one of the big themes of 
the debate about finance has been this issue of automation and technology and the digitization of finance within the debate about what the Davosites would call the fourth industrial revolution. In other words, there's growth being generated, there is automation, artificial intelligence, robots are replacing workers, and that's making things more efficient. But there is a social cost to that, which is that lots of people's jobs are being eliminated because machines and computers and robots are doing these jobs instead. And Douglas Klimt was very interesting on this. The chairman of HSBC was talking about how the fact that median incomes across the world haven't risen as much as people thought is an issue. But, you know, somebody has to make the argument that there are benefits to this automation and you're going to have to explain to people how you'll need to retrain these people, you need to invest in reskilling them. And he said the only way you can deal with people who have lost out is by some kind of transfer, but you need the resources to make that transfer to retrain people to different skills. And he said you'd seen that in China already, where there'd been a complete shift in the Chinese economy, and that that was something that was achievable. So people are trying to be positive and constructive in their criticisms of globalization. Very good. Well, Martin, you've got a few days left in Davos. I hope you managed to fit in a ski run, and we'll see you back here next week. Thank you. Thanks, Patrick. Let's move on now to news about William Hague. Laura, you've just been writing about Mr. Haig's appointment as an advisor to Citigroup. He's the latest in a long line of politicians and policymakers, or former politicians, I should say, who've joined banks in some capacity or other. Citigroup has certainly been bringing a number of advisors in over the past few months. Tell us what's the background to William Haig's appointment. William Haig has been appointed advisor now. He'll only work two to three days per month. Typically, that's what these kind of roles involve. So it will be by no means his full-time job. In terms of what he's doing, City are being quite vague. They say he'll be sharing his unique perspectives with their clients. They don't specify which kind of clients he'll be working with or on which kinds of issues. The obvious issue is going to be the Brexit one because that's something which the bank itself faces major questions about how it'll handle it. And it also raises many issues for their clients. And obviously, because Mr. Haig has such a long experience in the foreign affairs space, he has a lot to add there. He's already an advisor to the strategy group Tenio on some Brexit related matters. So that seems to be the obvious space where he'll probably add the most value for them. Yes, because he was, of course, foreign secretary. And some time ago before that, he was leader of the Conservative Party. He's a long-standing politician, although he nowadays, as you say, having stepped back from politics, has a portfolio of business interests. I think I'm right in saying that he did quite an extensive amount of work for a Citigroup back last summer where he did a string of speeches for them. We mentioned that when we wrote a story about Lord Mervyn King being hired as an advisor by Citigroup a few months ago. Yeah, he will be joining Lord King at City. It's unclear whether they'll be working together much, but certainly City does have form in terms of hiring these politically connected individuals to help the bank and to help the clients. City, though, as you said, isn't the only bank by any means. There was a lot of uproar last year when it emerged that Goldman Sachs had hired former EU president Mr Barroso to be the chairman of its business in the UK. And that was seen by some people in the Brussels administration as being not a very good thing for him to do. They ended up having an ethics investigation into whether he had in fact breached EU ethics. In the end, they found that he actually hadn't, but the panel did question his judgment in terms of taking on that role. And of course, probably most famously, the former Prime Minister Tony Blair is still retained as a senior advisor to JP Morgan. Nobody really knows what he's paid there. There were kind of reports of up to $5 million at one point, I think. 
Do we know what William Hague is getting from Citigroup? We most certainly don't know what William Hague. I have asked, I have been laughed at for asking, so I think it's safe to say that we will not know. However, what we do know is that, as you mentioned, he is already doing various jobs in the private sector. When he was interviewed by our political team a few weeks ago, they asked him about his pay generally. He didn't get into the specifics, but he said he didn't have any complaints about pay in the private sector. So we can take it from that, that he's being pretty well looked after, I think. Now, final afterward, not directly related to William Hague, although, as you say, one of his key roles, I'm sure, will be advising Citigroup on Brexit. Just as we're recording now, Theresa May is still delivering her seminal speech on Brexit and the negotiating strategy. And as we were coming into the studio, she was revealing some interesting details about that, particularly on the transition arrangements. I think that certainly all of the banks here and all the other financial institutions would very much love to have the transitional access. The key thing is whether the EU on that side is going to actually agree to it. But there isn't a whole lot of detail yet. So in terms of the overall position and what she's been saying about the single market as well, which is that the UK is going to leave the single market, but would then like to get as much access to it as they can. It's all optimistic in terms of what the banks would like, but there isn't really much outlook at this point as to how realistic these things actually are. I mean, it does seem to be very much that the UK would like to have its cake and eat it. And of course, everybody would actually love that. But I think that if you are a UK based financial institution and you're trying to use this speech as the basis to make your plans on, I think it really isn't that helpful because there still isn't any clarity with the key issues. And that is mainly because it isn't just a case of what the UK wants. It's a case of what the UK can manage to achieve. And we really aren't that much closer to understanding that now. I suppose the phrase that people might latch on to is when she talked about a phased process of implementation for issues such as the legal and regulatory framework for financial services, which she insisted would be of mutual benefit to the EU and the UK. Let's just hope that they agree to the mutual benefit. So let's go over for our final segment to New York. Ben McClanahan, our US banking editor, has been looking at the latest set of bank results. The fourth quarter numbers from the majority of the US banks are now in. We had Bank of America, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo the other day, Morgan Stanley today. Is there a clear theme, Ben? Has the fourth quarter of the year been stellar for everyone? Not quite stellar. I think the key words are just about good enough to support the massive rally in share prices we've seen since Donald Trump won the election. And of course, that's rekindled hopes that America's now set on a brighter path for higher interest rates, lower taxes and lighter regulation. And of course, the banks responded very well to that. And in the figures, we've seen a pickup in trading volumes. That's investors resetting their portfolios to take account of those factors. So that's been pretty good for Morgan Stanley this morning, where bond trading revenues are up quite a lot. It was also good for JP Morgan and Bank of America on Friday. And we've got Goldman Sachs and Citigroup still to come? Yeah, both bringing up the rear tomorrow. Goldman, of course, is very anxious that these protests this afternoon in New York don't get too incendiary. This is the succession of appointments we've seen from Goldman Sachs ranks to the Trump administration have got the usual agitators very riled up. And there are demonstrations at Goldman Sachs offices today scheduled for 3 o'clock in New York and also in Jersey City and also apparently on the West Coast where there's a concerted action to point out the fact that despite Donald Trump's pledges to drain the swamp and loosen connections between Wall Street and Washington, he appears to be hell-bent on doing the exact opposite. A final word on what you think the US bank results herald for other international players, particularly the Europeans, which will be reporting over the weeks ahead. 
I'm guessing the kind of bounce in the markets business should have helped investment banks on the other side of the Atlantic as well. But whether they are going to be set to benefit from some of the other factors that should help the US banks over the coming quarters and years, the deregulatory agenda, the tax benefits, the interest rate benefits, I guess those will be particularly focused on the US institutions. Yeah, you're exactly right. Some of these factors are unique to the US banks. But on Wall Street in general, there has been a revival, which will be reflected in the figures for any bank with a serious presence over here. That's uh, Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse, UBS, Barclays. They'll all do much better than the fourth quarter in 2015, which was a bit of a bad one from the bank's point of view. But you're right, some of the dividends flowing the bank's way from the rise of Donald Trump, the US bank's way, they don't apply to the Europeans. Very good. Well, thanks, Ben, for that assessment and good luck at getting through the protests. That's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Laura here in the studio, Martin in Davos and Ben in New York, and also to thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.